Today we're talking about redemption, about God taking something that is not so good and turning it into something that is very good. We start with our emotional pain. I used to get more exciting phone calls than I get now. I remember that phone call when I was pastor of my first church. It was a frantic mother who spoke with a pronounced German accent. My son has a knife. Can you come? She pleaded over the phone. I hadn't met him yet, but her adult son and his mental struggles were legendary. I certainly had heard about him. I jumped in the car wondering what I would do when I arrived. By the time I got there, the young man had calmed down and so had his mother. Boy, was, was I glad. Then I was pastor of my second congregation when I got a call from a frantic husband. His wife had grabbed a gun and had run into the woods. He was afraid she was going to harm herself. I drove out to the place on the edge of our rural community. When I got there, we began desperately searching for her. Soon she came out on her own without harm. That lady, whom I'll call Jenny, got help with a counselor, and she got better. A couple of years later, I was with a group from our church on a mission trip to Sterling, Illinois. The lady I'm calling Jenny and her husband were on the trip. Another young lady on that trip, I'll call her Tara, was going through an especially, an especially difficult time. Tara had just experienced the painful loss of a relationship and was hurting desperately. Her state of mind, in fact, and some of the comments she had made caused some of us to, to be very concerned about her, about her safety. The young lady we were worried about, Tara, was awake in the wee hours of the morning. Everyone else was asleep. She sat outside alone with dangerous thoughts. Meanwhile, inside slept Jenny, of whom I spoke a few moments ago, the lady who had disappeared into the woods with a gun. She, Jenny, awakened in the middle of the night and decided to go get a drink of water. She made her way through the building toward the kitchen, and as she passed the door she, leading to the outside, she noticed a figure sitting, sitting alone. She stuck her head out, at, head out and found Tara, who was contemplating suicide at that very moment. Jenny sat down next to her and empathized and told her Jenny's story, including her emotional healing. Before the sunrise, the two walked back in together. Jenny may have saved Tara's life that night. Sometimes those who have hurt are the best ones to help those who are hurting. Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 reads, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we may comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. During this pandemic, some of you have been inconvenienced. Some of you have had your lives disrupted. Some of you have grieved. Some of you have struggled with addiction. God can redeem it all. He can redeem your pain. He can, he can give you deep and lasting comfort and then comfort others through you. He can redeem your pain. 
This week, we saw the video of a young African-American man, Ahmaud Arbery, and I hope that's not too bad a pronunciation of his name, who was shot by two white men while merely jogging in a Georgian neighborhood. Our hearts broke, and I hope we're all outraged over that. And there's another story we ought to be following. COVID-19 has disproportionately impacted the black community. As of a few days ago, almost half of Alabama's deaths from the coronavirus have come from African-Americans, while only a fourth of the population of Alabama is African-American. Now, before we play social scientists and diagnose the problem and rationalize the disparity and explain things, let's just sit with that fact for a moment. Not the explanations, just the fact that a higher percentage of our state's African-American population has died from a coronavirus. If you're a white person, does that bother you? It should. We've come a long way in race, race relations, but we still have a long way to go. I really want to see the racial hurt in my beloved state healed. Part of that healing, I've come to believe, is to understand the difference between moving on and moving forward. Moving on is just forgetting the past and focusing on the present and future. Moving forward is remembering where, where our hurts come from. And while not getting stuck in the past, carrying the past with us into a better future. That's the message I tried to convey several weeks ago when Huntsville commemorated Bloody Sunday, the violent events at Selma, uh, Selma's Edmund Pettus Bridge on March 7, 1965. We're going to show that brief video with thanks to Jeff White, by the way. I hope you'll see in it a message about redeeming our racial pain, about taking something that is in many ways ugly and turning it into something beautiful. Not long ago, I, um, I learned the difference, difference between moving on and moving forward. I heard a lady on NPR talk about her grief after having suffered a series of losses. Her husband died after a long bout with cancer. People around her wanted to help her feel better. They wanted to help her with her grief, and so they said things that they thought would be helpful. Well-meaning people, people with good intentions, said things that sometimes were not helpful. She said, this lady who was telling her story said the least helpful things least helpful thing that people said to her uh, was, you'll move on. You'll learn to move on. Just move on. I didn't want to move on, she said. My husband, his life was part of my life, and I, I didn't want to just sweep that under the rug. He was part of me. Our love is an important part of my life. I didn't want to forget. I did, though, she said, I did want to move forward. And so she said, I picked up those memories, the good ones and the bad ones, and the impact he had made on my life, and I moved forward. She eventually remarried and has children. She taught me the difference between moving on and moving forward. And I said to our folks at First Baptist this week how applicable, I believe that is, in the conversation about race. There are well-meaning people, people with good intentions, who would say, just, just move on. I understand that. But I think it would not be healthy just to move on. I don't, I don't want to move on. 
On March 7, 1965, I was only five years old, and I was in Anniston, not in Selma. But in many ways, that still feels like part of my story. I'm a descendant of a successor to the white preachers who said nothing, good people, I'm sure, but who simply remained silent in 1965. I, they are my, my ministerial ancestors, if you will. So this feels like part of my story, too. I'm from Anniston, where the bus of the Freedom Riders was turned over and the riders were attacked. It feels like part of my story, too. I would suggest that we not move on, but I do think it's, it's right to move forward, to pick up our memories, our hurts, and our fears, and the, and the regrets, and the laments, and, and move forward with those memories, letting them shape us. I know there are those who would say, we cannot move forward. But that is a skepticism to which we must not surrender. There are those who say we should not move forward. That is a racism to which we must not surrender. We can and we must not just move on, but move forward. In Exodus 14, the children of Israel had just escaped slavery in Egypt, but they were not yet free. Behind them lay the, the angry armies of the Pharaoh. Before them lay the angry waters of the Red Sea. And they cried out, what do we do now? The Bible says in Exodus 14 that the word of the Lord came to Moses and said, tell my people to move forward. I'm not suggesting we move on. I do believe we can move forward. And one final thing. We all look at the past through the lenses of our own experience. We can't help that. We all look at the present through the lenses of our own experience. We can't help that. Ah, but the future. We can together look at a future that is different, a future that is not clouded by our biases and not clouded by our fears. We can look together to a future, to a day when, and I'm not just trying to be dramatic, to a day when the dreams of peaceful protesters on the Edmund Pettus Bridge will come true. I think it would be unhealthy just to move on. But I believe we can, by the power of Almighty God, and under the banner of His grace, I think we can, and I think we must, move forward. For the last several weeks, I've been interviewing Greg Screws, news anchor at WHNT. We focused on good news stories, particularly about people who have reached out to help others during this pandemic. And you've heard us say multiple times, there are lots of good folks in the world. That's true, of course. Some people do really good stuff. But here's the problem. Despite the fact that lots of people do really good things, the truth is that all of us are sinners by nature and by choice, all of us. Some of us behave better or worse than others. But we all have an overwhelming tendency to do the wrong thing. That's sin and our sinful nature. And people, humans, us, we who are born with a sinful nature, this overwhelming tendency to do the wrong thing, those of us who are sinners by nature and by choice, we need redemption. Not just self-help books or motivational speeches or turning over new leaves and such. For example, 
What if you were to test positive for the coronavirus? What if you were struggling to breathe so much that you were afraid you wouldn't make it to the hospital? And what if when you go to the hospital, when you get to the hospital, what if they were to hand you two aspirins and a DVD of a motivational speech? What if the doctor or nurse were to say, take these two aspirin, watch this motivational speech about the importance of breathing, and come back next week? You'd protest. You'd say, I need more than an aspirin and a speech. Ah, but when it comes to humanity's deep-seated problems, we seem to do similar things. We try to fix our problems with the equivalence of aspirin and a motivational speech. When we or someone else messes up, we talk about trying harder or about improving our lives. Or we buy a self-help book. But we need more than that. We need redemption. When we really mess up, we need more than for someone to casually tell us we're okay and not to worry about it. We need more than a drink to dull the pain of our regret. We need more than coping mechanisms. We need redemption. And we cannot redeem or fix ourselves. We can work on our personalities, and we can attempt better habits, but, but we cannot fix what is fundamentally wrong with us. Anyone who is lost in his or her sinful condition doesn't need a new leaf. He needs or she needs a new life. Anyone who's lost in his or her sinful condition doesn't need a dose of do-better. He or she needs a dramatic do-over. Someone suggested that no arrangement of bad eggs can form a good omelet. We need new ingredients, new desires, new strength, a new heart to make for a new life. And here's the good news. God is the great Redeemer. Let me tell you a story. I got a new push mower, a self-propelled mower. I bought it last fall when I thought I'd get a good deal. The air was chilly. The leaves were turning. The grass was dormant. I haven't had one of those self-propelled mowers in forever, so I thought I'd just get a feel for it. So I started it in the driveway, and I pulled the lever for the mower to propel itself, you know, and just pushed it out into the yard. I didn't think about the blades rotating. I was concentrating on the self-propelled part. Eventually, I stopped and looked back and thought, uh-oh. I had not noticed that the settings on the mower were as low as they could go. Those new, low, sharp blades had cut the grass down nearly to the dirt. Suddenly, I had this ugly strip of near-nothingness in my yard, a testimony to my knuckle-headedness. When people would come over, I'd have to explain, yes, I know there's a random strip of dirt in my yard. I, I had the mower running, and I didn't know it, and so on. I'll bet runners and dog walkers passed by and wondered, what was that guy thinking? That was this past fall, and you can still see the results, the scar, if you will, of my boneheaded decision. But I want to show you something. This is a picture I took a couple of weeks ago. That strip of green you see, that was my mistake. That used to be ugly and embarrassing, but the grass is returning. And it returned to my mistake first. The grass is greener where I messed up, greener than anywhere else. 
Grass has returned stronger there than anywhere else in the yard. It took a while, but soon my big mistake will be redeemed. I believe God has woven the idea of redemption into the very fabric of creation. When your bone breaks and heals again, it's stronger where it was broken than at any other place. When a fire sweeps through a forest and destroys things, the regrowth is spectacular. And when we've messed up and we're broken and we have scars and we've burned bridges and we are ashamed and there seems to be no hope for us, God is the great redeemer, the great recycler, the master of turning our brokenness into something beautiful. Please hear this. From the Bible's book book called Romans, it's in the third chapter of that book. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified, justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. Meaning that if you're willing to surrender your life to Jesus, to turn from your sins and ask for His forgiveness, He will redeem you, recycle you and your story. Scars and memories may remain, but you can be free from the power of of that dark sinfulness in your life and get a new beginning. God can make something beautiful of your life. You can be redeemed. Redeemed.